0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: elk shape podcast number 11 with me dan the fitness man stating what's up y'all today we are bringing on sick of gears dave brinker we are absolutely not going to talk about sika gear, unfortunately. If that's what you wanted to hear about, we're going to talk about elk hunting, discipline, motivation, training, being a better human, taking risks, going for your dreams, not giving a flying heck or a darn what anyone thinks, and going for your dreams, as big as they are, as small as they are, and ta- you know, and just putting yourself out there. Most importantly, putting yourself out there. Stay humble. Ask questions from those that know more Than you And I'm not even talking elk hunting on that kind of stuff We talked about him going To Nashville to record an album But the same principles apply If you're new to elk hunting The more humble you can be And the better your attitude And you're willing to work hard And ask lots of questions And learn the ropes You're going to be successful So really enjoyed having Dave on He's got a young family like I do He works his tail off and he's a good dude, he's good people He's originally from Oregon, he's got that Pacific Northwest blood in him And I just, I love talking to him today, enjoy the show Elk Shape Podcast number 11 with me, Dan Staten Today, talking with a good buddy of mine, he's in the industry uh, David
2: Brinker with Sick of Gear David, how are you? Doing good, man, I'd happy to be on here with you
1: Yeah, man, thanks for taking time out of your busy life to just, uh, as you say, bro out for
2: a little bit <laughs> I'll take ownership over that one
1: I like it man so 2018 <laughs> how's it going so far
2: 2018 I've spent most of my 2018 thus far staring out the windows of airplanes going to uh, shows that's kind of the in that when you work in the industry you're January through um, the beginning of March into February. You you go to a lot of shows which has been awesome because you guys see a lot of friends and and uh people you look up to um but it's good to be home man i'm home for about three weeks and there's a lot of stuff that stacks up at home when you're not like chores and stuff when you're not around and uh your kids grow up too so it's good to be back
1: oh yeah so your wife is rachel how long have you guys been married
2: uh 10 years this june i guess it's kind of crazy weird a decade one decade
1: and you guys have made some babies how many of those do you
2: have we have three kids um six five three and uh yeah man i think i think that's it wow
1: and so traveling sucks i mean i think it's easier to travel than it is
2: to stay home with three kids man it's that's a tough one um sometimes i think it is and sometimes i think it isn't yeah (laughs) it just depends uh i was doing fine until i i went on a a coos deer hunt um with randy newberg and and the gritty bowman and some other folks and right after shot show like we drove from las vegas to southern arizona and uh man i was excited for that just to get out of the show scene get some fresh air do some hunting and on the way down, I I started to cough, and you know when you cough and it's like burning in your lungs, you're like, oh, this this isn't going to be good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we got down. Like uh, woke up the first morning, went out. and We're seeing Kuz bucks immediately, and man, I just started going downhill. I looked over at yeah, Brian, call um, at about eleven in the morning, and I said, hey, are you cold? Because I was shivering. And, <laughs> and and he goes, dude, it's like seventy. <laughs> so uh i ended up being in bed the entire trip barely ever got to hunt and went home early because i was sick so that was a tough travel time and you know it's like it's it's hard being away from family you know on the on the road and stuff it's but it's also hard to complain about it because you're going to do, do something fun that most people would you know uh would love to do but yeah it's hard but being at home's definitely probably harder um my wife puts up with a lot to stay home with the kids when i'm gone and uh, so when i'm here i try to relieve some of that that's awesome i don't do a very good job though i kind of screw it up more when i come home to be honest with you because she she gets the processes down pat and then i come in and ruin all of them
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that sounds super familiar and uh, you know once september's over i roll in and Oh, man, I screw up bedtimes, and everyone's got a routine dialed, and you're just dad. You know, you just want to have fun with the kids and screw everything up. I get it. Um, well, that's brutal. Are you better now? You're not sick anymore?
2: I got over it. Yeah, no, we're good. Pretty rested now, actually. It took about a week and a half, but feeling pretty good. Uh, starting starting to shoot more and get excited for elk season.
1: Yeah, that's what we're going to definitely dig into is elk. Um, so when you're hunting... Coos Deer, Cows Deer, however you want to call it, with Randy Newberg and Brian Call. Two good two two really good dudes. I actually haven't really ever met Randy, but I can just tell you solid. Tell us some fun stuff like that you would never see or hear about. Cause those guys are pretty, pretty transparent with everything they do. But uh, what's like sharing a camp with him? Like anything funny or just out of the ordinary or just uh, you know, idiosyncrasies that you kinda like, oh with those two uh yeah
2: they're, i mean yeah they're both great guys um very transparent i mean brian's got his iphone pointed at your face most of the day with insta <laughs> stories and stuff <laughs> so you gotta you gotta get you gotta be over that fear if you're yeah with brian um because that's how you know that's his life
1: yeah
2: um i'd say the coolest thing a couple things um the first thing being with randy or guys like randy I, am just constantly picking his brain on issues like, c- uh, current events and conservation. Um, because the guy is a million miles deep in knowledge. I mean, he, he's unbelievable. I don't even know where he learned all these things other than he's, he's just, that's how he spends his life, I guess. Um, so I, I I'm usually have like, we just get into hot topics, you know, gun control, public lands, uh, wolves grizzly bear delisting any any hot topic we i dig into with them because i find myself trying to develop my own opinions in these things um and uh, i try to obviously because i'm a you know i work for sitka and we have stances on most of the issues but i also like you know i just try to dig in as deep as i can with everybody that i can imagine on both sides of the issue and um randy and i tend to be the most aligned out of most people i know so i that's a plus man you spend time in camp with him you come back and you're like man i'm i am knowledgeable on that now like i could i could debate anybody on it that's Um, awesome and then with with uh (laughs) brian's always a hoot because he is like i said pretty much lives a unfiltered life through his social media and his podcast so If you, if you're going to be hunting with him, be, be ready. Like it's all, it's, uh, you know, every minute, every day is on Insta stories. (laughs) Oh gosh. He's, he's, he's he's really fun to hunt with. We have some great conversations too. He's, he's just really good at pulling things out of you, you know? So we get, we get deep and you know, obviously we talk about hunting and stuff, but we also dig into a lot of life stuff and marriage and kids and all kinds of stuff. All the stuff you talk about around the fire or, uh probably when you're out hunting you should be concentrating on hunting but you tend to get we, we, when you're behind the spotting scope you start talking about stuff and it's fun man i, I anybody that can anybody that can get out with those guys i would highly recommend a good group of people
1: yeah now as far as like <clears throat> Randy Newberg to me he seems like nearly impossible to ha- to hate as far as like you know Brian gets his fair share of you know whatever I see comments on Instagram people there's haters probably jealous but Newberg I mean I think he might be impossible to hate does he have any like frenemies or just idiots that post anything negative or because he seems pretty impossible to hate
2: oh man I yeah he does he gets a lot of hate actually um he and I don't it always is astonishing to me because he is impossible to hate um he is a one of the best guys in the industry that I've ever met. Yes. Um, just just in terms of, I'm not talking about hunting stuff. Like, just as a human, he's a good guy. He'd do anything for you. Yeah. Um, but he, he gets hated on. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we all know social media. It's, it's most of the time it's jealousy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's obvious that it is. So I think... Most of the time, he just disregard. In fact, he told me on the Arizona trip, So I always ask him about it because, you know, the the little, the little hate that I've got, um, it, it drives me crazy. And I always, I'm always curious how people like that handle it and what they do with it. Um, and he said, you know, the older I get, I just delete it. I used to engage in it, but he's like, it's just such a waste of my time. I delete it, un- you, know, you know, block them from my account. It's just not worth my time unless it's a valid debate. Then he debates it. That's and, cool. You know, sometimes, you know, they just disagree, agree to disagree. But that's that's productive. Yeah, I think it's so. just it's it's just the random hate. Um, I remember when I was hunting with him on a backpack hunt for mule deer in Nevada here a couple of years ago and uh, four or five years ago. And we're in all the way back. We're six or seven miles back in the backcountry and we had a little self-service. So he called his wife and I was sitting next to him when he did it. I just overheard what they were talking about. Right at the same time when we were hunting, he had launched a a TV episode where they killed a wolf. Oh, yeah. And uh, his wife was telling him about all the death threats that they were getting on their (laughs) platforms while he was in Nevada hunting. (laughs) And when he got off that call, I'm like, you're you're literally getting death threats right now? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, people are giving me death threats because – You know, he didn't kill the wolf. Um, Matt Clyde on his TV show killed the wolf. Um, I'm like, how do you even deal with that? Like, that would really bug me and make me mad. Um, And, you know, he's like, it's part of the deal. If you have any level of exposure, and especially when you have a strong opinion most of the time like he does on on really controversial issues like wolf hunting, people are going to come at you. You have a big X on you. So he handles it really well. And Brian does, too. Brian engages, I think, more with it. Um, it's really productive. If you were following his hunt last week in Texas with the new Garmin site, um, the uh, that basically ranges for you and like gives you a red dot and all those things. Um, highly, highly advanced technologically. Um, very controversial, and uh, he was engaging with some debate on his Instagram account and sharing it and it ended really friendly and it was like they agreed to disagree and it was great you know yeah so i legit. think he uh, brian takes it more head-on and randy's probably just getting to a point where he's like you know what if, here's my opinion like it or not here's what it is <laughs> yeah
1: that's awesome i think yeah the older we all get we'll just care less and less about what people think which is i think awesome and it's part of the maturation process um and those two dudes i'm jealous i mean i'd love to share camp with both those guys i got nothing but respect for both of them and they do a bang-up job for the industry and and hunting in general um so when it comes to elk and and for your kind of elk hunting portfolio does is there just certain dates that are blacked out from montana what's your elk hunting i mean how do you kind of set up your season
2: oh man it's stressful in the (laughs) in hunting terms uh you know because you only get so many days of the rut and you want to use them wisely and i I am. I have a bad habit of trying to overextend myself. Oh. Um, like I'll be like, maybe if I could crunch in five days in Montana, then head over to Idaho, and then I got Oregon, Roosevelt, and like I'm like, and then you you just you end up not being per- very productive. So um, as I've matured a little bit, I've just learned that you just got to just pick something and just stick to it until it's done, and then go to the next thing. So usually I run around with my head cut off. I'll do because the problem with Bozeman where I live is there's really good elk hunting within an an hour of town a lot of it in every direction and so what I'll do is I will spend most of mid September just within 2 hours of where I live because I can go I can wait for the weather to get perfect and then I can just take a day off work and spend a day and a half when the weather gets crappy again or the you know, if something happens, the elk aren't talking, or whatever, I can just go home and work and wait for it to get good again and then hit it again. Yeah. Um, and and then I'll usually plan a, a bigger stint of days um, in late September, early October when most people have burnt out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll go spend a block of time then. And then every two years, I will go do the... Oregon usually opens a lot or at least a week earlier than Montana. Um so I, and I, I grew up in Western Oregon, so, uh, Roosevelt hunting, and I love doing that. So every other year I'll go do that. So, but I, you know, it's, it's hard to juggle, you know, I mean, you, 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 uh, you spend a lot of time, I think in Idaho, but it even just trying to do that between the weather and, and, you know, that's the other problem is you plan your weeks too early, you, you could plan your week, and, and, and that's it. You committed with your vacation and stuff, and it could be 95 degrees that whole week. Elk are shut down, and you're, you're, you're toast. Um, so I, I try not to do that anymore. I wait until a little closer, and then I'm like, all right, third week looks good. I'm booking it. Yeah,
1: yeah. especially with the wildfires that we've had every year. It seems like it's getting worse and worse. You guys had a horrible wildfire season last year. Uh, I know it affected where I was hunting quite a bit, too, but um, yeah, you can't make your plans too soon. Did you put in for Wyoming?
2: No, I didn't. i I actually didn't put in for anything other than I'll put in for some Montana stuff that I won't draw. <laughs> um, i'm go, I'm going uh, I'm going moose hunting October fifth uh, up in BC uh, for two weeks, or well, the hunt's only ten days, but I'm gone for two weeks. Um, so that's gonna kill a lot of my actually, it's, honestly, it's gonna kill some of my favorite elk hunting time. Yeah, but it's a it's a bucket list thing for me. I've always wanted to do it, and uh, it's going to be an awesome hunt. So I've kind of devoted my big block of time to that, and then I'll hunt elk around Montana. You know, I'll do a few days here, a few days there, and then I'll I'm probably going to go to Oregon and hunt Roosevelt's too.
1: What are you going to hunt elk with? What weapon? I mean, and I mean, like, are you going trad? Or are you going compound? Or have you decided?
2: Uh, man, I uh, I don't know i'm both so <laughs> maybe I, yeah. I don't know like last year uh i hunt, traditionally i hunt all with a trad bow last year i shot a compound because i was having some target panic issues with the trad bow um and i was really successful uh w- um i actually didn't kill an elf which was a whole other story but i killed a few mule deer bucks and an antelope and um had a overall shot well and i actually really enjoyed it uh much to my surprise i was always not a compound guy but i I enjoyed it i think this year i will probably choose one of those hunts to do with my recurve or maybe i'll just you know depending on the day just grab a different weapon yeah you know maybe you know i'm feeling good i'm gonna go out for a weekend with my recurve montana or something um and then i'll pick i'll probably pick i'm still debating i might i might take the recurve on the moose hunt because the moose hunt i'm going on these these moose have I mean, for the most part, not seeing people. Um, and you can call them in pretty close. So I may take that up there. It's kind of a perfect hunt for it.
1: It is. So. I mean, and, and you can get a shot off so much faster. You're not, you know, if a window appears, it could be disappear. It could disappear for a compound right.
2: guy, whereas you arrow's gone. And that's, yeah, that's cool. Yeah,
1: that's
2: exactly. Cool. And I, I I shoot a hand release with the compound, so I kind of have that issue.
1: Yeah that's awesome well you are in montana hunting i know this because we've talked about it and i think this is fascinating you hunt a very particular bull and he's not dead yet and he as far as you know he's still alive give us a little history on that bull and kind of the ups and downs of hunting a really smart bull on public land
2: well so he's a good example of um he's fairly close to home within a couple hours and um he's a uh (laughs) It's just it's an area that has a lot of recreational um, use, a lot of campers, um, and he's very used to people. It's almost like a whitetail, like in around in in urban area, you know, that's just grown really old. He's been around people. Mm-hmm. Some states allow hunting in those areas, and even even then, they're, that buck's hard to kill. Um, it's the same type of deal. He's used to people, um, you know, camping, uh, fishing you know hiking horseback riding all those things it doesn't bug him in fact he'll bugle well two years ago i always go go to that area around the seventh or eighth or tenth or whatever you know it's right after opening day it's not good on the weekends there's too many people camping and stuff but and two years ago i got him to answer me on the i don't know let's just call it the ninth or the tenth for conversation's sake but um Right before dark, and there was actually kids playing with their dog down below me, about a hundred yards. <laughs> and I was, I bugled over them, and he answered me on the other side of the canyon from them, right over there. Right, right like they're literally yelling at their dog and throwing sticks and stuff. But the moment you go over there to try to get him to do more, he'll shut up and disappear. Yeah, he just, he has a knack for it, but. He has made some mistakes. The problem where he lives is it's really thick, and there's a lot of blowdown, and he doesn't come out. Like, he won't come even in a shooting lane very often. I've only had him come in a shooting lane one time, oh, wait, one, two, twice out of the 12 or so interactions I've had within bow range with him. And uh, both times he evaded the actual my actual like shot lane. Like he was in the like macro in the shooting lane, but he wasn't actually in the perfect spot for me to shoot him. Like the, the one time he walked, he was 37 yards. He walked into the shooting lane, but then he went, there was a dip there that I couldn't see like a hole. So when he walked in the shooting lane, all I could see was the top of its back and his horns. He walked through that hole and then came out of it right out of my shooting lane. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, uh, I had him at 12 yards one evening. Oh, where I could hear him breathing. Like he, he was feet from my shooting lane and he stopped right before it. couldn't see anything. I called him in. That was one of the only times I've ever called him in and he couldn't see another animal. So he started to walk off and he walked through the shooting lane again at 38. But I wasn't, it just was too fast. I didn't have time to get an arrow off, but he's, he's the funny thing about him is he's, he's, uh, Totally predictable. Like I can get on him almost every time I go there. Like he, every morning, almost every evening. Um, in the morning, you know, in the dark, you can I can get within a few hundred yards of him just listening to him. And then when it gets to legal shooting light, good luck keeping up with him. And he has like you know fifty different escape routes and bedding areas that are impossible to navigate. And so I have I have a friend who's. An incredible elk hunter and he always laughs he's like man why don't you just kill that thing i'm like dude it's just not that easy bro yeah like i you know last year i had him at 21 yards with his rear end in a clear shooting lane but nothing else and then he turned and walked straight away from me with no shot and then he got my wind um and left the country and i never saw him again but uh yeah man he's that that's what keeps you back though i i don't know why i keep going there honestly i know where it is way easier elk to kill other than it's kind of a thing now where it's like i'm gonna do it yep and when i when i do it it's gonna be awesome Well, you know you you besides elk you hunt those mountain whitetails those things are same type of deal
1: well my i just got all these questions so I'm, I'm this stuff excites me because I have I got a couple of bulls just like this. So my first question is is does the wind swirl like a mother where he lives or
2: Oh it's the worst. He lives in an area it's it's almost like a he lives in an area where uh it's almost like golf ball dimples where there's like little like uh pot like potholes in the timber mm-hmm. that are full of blowdown. Yep. Um and and like really sharp knife ridges and stuff. So basically the wind just bounces around in there. Yeah. Like you can he always walks into the bedding areas, obviously with wind in his nose, just like every other elk. But once he gets in there, there's no consistency to it. So I think that's why he gets so cagey in there. Obviously, because he he loses his nose, so he won't come into a call. He won't he won't make very many. And pl- oh, to add to the complexity, the this is an area that doesn't allow um, many cows to be killed. So I think the and he usually has like two or three and i think it's the same ones every year. Yeah. And they are literally impossible. Honestly, if they they weren't there, i would have probably killed them by now, but they are the worst. They they know my every move. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's only there's only so many trails i can approach it on. Like it's just there's only so many ways because it's so bad, you mm-hmm. know. Yes. So like I, let's just say let's say i have like a half a dozen or 10 spots i can come in at them at. They know all of them. They, and they they know just about the time that a human would be doing those because we have legal shooting hours, right? Yeah. So they kind of have me figured out, and there's not a lot I can do about it other than just hope maybe for one moment of one day they forget about it.
1: Now the time that you did call him in, I believe to 12 yards. What what call sequence or what kind of what happened there?
2: Uh, dude, I was it was it was the most unexpected thing I maybe have ever had happen with him. He uh, it was. The second day of the season, and it was like 85 degrees, and it was, I, I just went up, I went out there early, I got in there early afternoon and just kind of crept up there. I was just, it was my first day hunting and uh, that year, and I, I was just excited to get out there. I honestly wasn't expecting to see anything, and I actually went into an area where that's about a half a mile from where he usually is, um, because there's some more bulls in there that were a little bit low, lower-hanging fruit, um, So, and I got up there, and it was hotter than crap like 4:30 in the afternoon and i sat down for a while I'm like man this is gonna be an unproductive night mm-hmm. um and i'm like you know what like what do i got to lose i'm just gonna rip a bugle and just see what happens and i did nothing happened and so I, I and then i think i shot a grouse or something i think i chased some grouse around and i made a bunch of noise and i thought i heard something you know how you break a bunch of brush or something sometimes sometimes elk they'll respond to that oh yeah he didn't he didn't bugle but i thought i could hear something because it was a really quiet evening like something walking around or something and uh so i i'm like I'll, i just bugled again just to see if it was a bull and he kind of gave me one of those light like early season like hey i'm over here bugles and he was like 200 and some yards in fact it sounded like a spike i'm like oh man there's a you know a rag horn or a spike up there ah I'll go up there and screw around with him a little bit see if I can get an interaction be fun. I was expecting nothing to happen that evening, you know. And uh, I I snuck up in there, and I heard him bugle again because he could hear me coming. There was no way to be quiet that night. I was crunchy. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, to be honest, I wasn't being that careful because I thought it was a small bull, and it was early in the season, and I wasn't going to shoot a small bull. So I was kind of just probably way more aggressive than I usually would be. And, and I think it actually helped me because I just trotted right up in there, man. Like I literally went, got right in his face. Like I got his, I got probably within 50 or 75 yards of where I thought he was and just set up. And I just started doing some, just some herd talk, like some light cow talking and stuff. But right before I knelt down, I jumped, I jumped an elk right in front of me, like 20 yards away from me. And I, and I got a glimpse of it. it was a cow. And I'm like, Oh man, I wonder if that's his cow. Cause that, actually that the year before that, he might've only had one cow. Yeah. And, uh, I'm like, ah, no, it could, it, it, it can't be him. It's too early. All these things. And the cow ran off and I thought like it was game over, but I'm like, whatever. I'm, I'll just kneel down and do some cow talking and some light, light calling. And I, I was doing some cow talking, nothing happened. But then I hit a, I hit a l- real light challenge bugle and he screamed like 35 yards from me. And it, it turned in front into a, Oh, that's him! Instead of I like, I'm like, oh, that's not a spike that, or a, a raghorn. I'm like, that's him. He was just wasn't ag- being aggressive, you know. Yep. He's got a pretty pretty recognizable bugle. And dude, he, he starts crashing towards me, and I thought because he would have popped out at like eight or nine yards broadside, mm. and I had my stick, I had my trad bow that year, so it'd be, it would have been beautiful. He stopped at, like, 12 yards. Like, his nose had to have been almost in my shooting lane. I just couldn't quite see it. Yep. But I could hear him breathing. And uh, he just got a sense that there wasn't anything there. And he started walking straight away from me, and he popped out in the opening at 37, which is probably too far with the trad bow anyway, but there was, like, some low-hanging limbs. And he was moving too fast. I couldn't get a shot off. So I just let him walk out of the opening. Oh. Yeah
1: off into the sunset you know bulls like that are awesome and i think you know who knows you may get him someday definitely don't give up it's it's just cool to build that history and have that to look forward to and and what a worthy opponent i mean what an adversary like he he lives in a niche area where there's lots of people it's public and he's intelligent and he's up there in age i mean you guys got quite a bit of history uh, that's freaking awesome
2: he hasn't changed much since I've been up there. I mean, it's four or five years in the making, and so he was mature at the beginning. So he's he's really old. In fact, I'm always surprised he's alive, to
1: be honest. Yeah, I have a bull, like I was going to say, just very similar. I actually gave up on him. I hate to say gave up, but I just felt like I was wasting my time. I was enjoying hunting him. He had a remarkable bugle, very, like, not much bass, just very screamy, would be, you know, just kind of holds a high note and screams to pierce your ears, you know, and... For year, I mean, obviously I think other people can hear him bugle. He's so recognizable, but this is the one bull that just, he's just so random. Um, for years, I tried to kill him without bugling, so I would just literally follow him around, and he was just so random. He would be with his cows for a second, and then all of a sudden, he'd be over in a brush field, and then the next thing you know, he's over on the other ridge, and he's just, I've I sn- tried sneaking in on him for years I also tried getting aggressive and getting in really close and calling, any type of calling, challenge bugles, cow, cow estrus, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Sometimes I'd get in close and just start raking only, and uh, he just was so unpredictable. And the wind was very swirly in that little niche drainage. uh, I called him Diablo just because he just sounded so amazing i think he's still alive actually i haven't even messed with him i left a few cameras up for him this year just to see if he made her got a couple sheds off of him do you have this pool sheds by the way
2: no i've never found them that's it's i i actually think he winters about 10 miles away from there yeah um but uh no i've never seen anything like that and <laughs> honestly like I, I went and hunted um an area with a friend of mine last year in montana where you know, it was like seven or eight miles in. And these elk were so, they acted like elk. Yeah. And they were much easy to, easier to kill. I didn't kill one. He killed one. But that was enough for seven or eight miles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, man, it actually got me thinking. I'm like, I just don't know how much more I want to. <laughs> I, I like hunting elk to act like elk. It's, it's a good challenge to hunt that bull. Like, it's fun. And I will do it since it's within a couple hours of home. But at the same time, I enjoy elk that, like, act like elk that aren't peopleized, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah, no, they're so amazing. They adapt and you know, every bull's different and yeah, I, I love it. Um well, we better start talking some strategy and stuff for guys that are listening and want to pick up cuz this podcast is dedicated to that learning curve whether somebody's had experience uh and maybe even been successful but they haven't been able to round the corner and consistently be successful or maybe somebody who's like me in in my first four seasons where I just didn't get it done. I just made every mistake in the book. What would you say? And I always ask everybody on here what is like the one or two things that you think would help shorten a guy or gal's learning curve that in the elk hunting woods, whether it be archery or rifle, common mistakes that they, they're going to make, and maybe we could help prevent that from happening that would speed up their learning curve?
2: Uh, I think the, well, so I would say two things, and this isn't just with elk hunting because I'm uh, you know, I, I, I've i hunted elk my whole life I, I feel like I'm pretty good at it but I'm definitely not there's people that are way better at it than me but just speaking to bow hunting in general I think there's two main things that people do that would that don't help them and the first is they spend um, they don't spend enough time learning the habits of, of the animal and studying habitat and uh, uh, areas enough they get in really good shape. They're really good shots, but they don't know where to go or what to do when they get there. So I think it's um, that's one thing I would say is if you if you can be in exceptional shape, be a hell of a shot, and know the habits and the habitat and have your areas picked out, you'll be deadly um, because uh, you'll be you'll you'll be ahead of most most guys. And then the second thing is. Um, expectations you know there's a lot of media out there these days whether it be tv youtube or social media where you know you follow a lot of very successful people that have a lot of time to devote to their craft um and they they harvest some pretty big stuff and there's people like that that do it every year and they're and they're amazing hunters but the reality is is and i'm i'm included in this don't set your your standards too high because it's not realistic like I hear a lot of people, I want to come to Montana and get a over-the-counter tag, but you know, I'd like to kill at least a 350. And I'm like, well, then don't come because <laughs> it isn't going to happen. I mean, it might, it might happen, but uh, uh, it, you know, if you go buy a, you know, go go to a ranch, get an outfitter to help you. Even then, on some of the best ranches, it's not. not there's nothing guaranteed. It's still hunting, but on definitely on public land. And if you're going to come out and do it yourself, it's just you know, just maybe, maybe change your goal to, I'm going to come out and, you know, when it feels right, I'm going to shoot. Like if it's, if it's, you know, if, if an encounter feels good, or, you know, if, if you do set your goal as a score, you know, I'd say probably a more realistic goal on public land would be, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say a number. Let's just say, you know, a mature bowl or, a you know, uh, 270 or two and above or whatever, you know, I just, but whatever that is, your goal, your standard for yourself, just, just if you want to harvest something, set it realistically, if you do really want to just kill a trophy bull, and you're okay, you know, not killing one for several seasons, then that's also awesome. Like I have nothing against that, but I think a lot of people come out to the West and they're, they're just because they've seen a lot of TV they think that 380 bulls live around every corner or one, one, 185 mule deer or whatever, you know, 170-pound mountain lions and stuff. They're just not. Um, there's people that devote their whole life to to that, and th- and they are successful doing that. But that doesn't mean it's right for everybody, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome. Well, when it comes to learning the habitat, learning the behavior of the animals, and you don't live in that state and you want to come to that state, what is it? where would someone start? I mean— to become an ecologist or biologist and learn elk behavior? Are we talking just elk general behavior or are we talking elk behavior based on certain terrain features? Uh, Can you expand on that?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, Honestly, I think it's just experience with hunting the animals. And then paying attention to – it's almost like learning. Like every time I get back to the truck, I've been hunting elk for my whole life. I'm 37, so I guess – Legal age in Oregon's 12, so however many years that is, 25 years. Yeah. Um, but I was going out with my dad way before that. And still, almost every time I get back to the truck, I'm, like, beating my head on the steering wheel because I learned so many lessons. Like, you have to constantly reevaluate what you're doing and also watch pe- people that are very successful, you know, and what they're doing and be constantly improving your strategy. And not everybody's strategy is the same. I don't have the same strategy as you, you don't have the same strategy as Corey Jacobson or anybody, it's like, but I think um, being out with elk elk deer or whatever you're hunting, and the more times you can um, just be out there and be open to learning new things and trying new strategies and making mistakes, the better hunter you're going to be.
1: Yeah, you know, and to expand on what you're saying, I think if you... If you were going to do it the, the way that it would probably make the most sense for me and my lens would be have a three-year plan and hunt the same area the next three years. And make sure it's over-the-counter. You can get your hands on that tag. And, you know, the first year, maybe you're just going to work cover country and try to develop some elk areas where, you know, the elk are hanging consistently where some different herds are. And then you start learning the terrain features, which way the wind generally prevails when those thermals switch. And start learning your access points, where the best place is to set up your spike camp, base camp, or if it's the backpack hunt, which I always recommend, things like that. And then the next year, you know, maybe you leave cameras out all year and come back and, you know, help develop the plan. But I think if you're gonna approach the elk hunting learning curve and you've, you just haven't punched your tag yet or haven't elk hunted yet, maybe have a three year plan and you just go back to the same area, and man, I feel like that's so much more important than just trying to draw some really cool tag, and then maybe you get your hands on a limited entry elk tag, but you don't know shit about elk hunting. It's not going to turn out great, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. kind of cut your teeth with a three-year plan and, and let that process evolve. That's what worked for me, man, was just going back to the same areas and not making the same mistakes, and it seemed like each year I'd just kind of a couple of hard lessons until I finally kind of it all came together, and then consistency followed, which was awesome. Elk hunting's cool; it never gets old, and you're always learning something, which is awesome. When you comes to Idaho, you hunted two years ago, I think. Two years ago, you took an awesome bull on public land with a rifle tag, and yeah, hands down, my favorite elk you've ever killed. No, and just, just because I can kind of get a sense of what you went through, tell us about that hunt a little bit and kind of. I don't know, man. Let's just re- let's, let's relive that hunt real quick. I want to know more about it.
2: Well, that bull, uh, <laughs> that bull, uh, we we found that bull the night before, and he was, it was October seventeenth uh, or something like that, somewhere right in that general area. Rifle hunting, and he was living. <laughs> he was chasing cows around like three hundred yards above a bunch of wall tents with people in them hunters but for some reason they weren't looking up there we were just glassing over <laughs> their wall tents <laughs> you're serious and yeah but we didn't have to, there was no time to get to them that evening so we just left him and and uh went back there hiked up there in the dark in the morning and there was like four bulls bugling in the middle of october and you know i got a rifle in my hands which is a very powerful feeling <laughs> yeah and he uh he uh anyways uh um, and the, when we drove by the wall, this was a good example of like, it's just a different mentality, right? Like if, if I know, if I know I'm, I don't care how early I have to get up to beat people, but even when I'm archery hunting and I, I try to like, I, I've, I've found in the last few years, I did for a long time I didn't do this, but the last few years, if you just get up an hour earlier than you want to and just start your day, you will, you will beat 95% of people to your area. Like, if you just hike in there in the dark and get within hearing distance of the bulls bugling and just sit down until it's, you know, all it's it's legal shooting light, you're ahead of most people. Most people leave their truck at daylight. And rifle hunting, it seems like most people don't leave their truck until after daylight. Or wow. if they, that that's what I, at least what I've seen. I'm not a, really a rifle hunter. But mm-hmm. anyways, that day, the, you know, the these people, I don't even think they were awake um, when we started hiking. And we were, we got on the bulls. daylight there's four bulls bugling and all over the side hill and i could have shot a five point spike and all these things but i kept hearing this growler like in in the middle of the this big thicket and i could see cows running in and out of there so i knew he was rutting obviously and so just sat there for like two hours watching all these elk at like 300 yards and uh he popped out and he was right at the end of my shooting range because again i'm not the uh, expert rifle hunter um but, uh, he stood there long enough to where I'm like, you know what? I can make this shot. And, and, uh, I, he stopped and man, I, it was one shot and just dumped him. He didn't move an inch and he ended up being for that area. That's a, he was a great bull, but yeah, man, that was just a good example. Again, well, I was right in your alley, man. Like you, you work really hard physically, not, I don't even remotely come in the ballpark of what you do, but I try to stay in pretty good shape and um, I'm not too concerned about climbing 1500 feet before anybody else wakes up to be in position, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that was a, that, that bowl was a benefit of that. So that's, that was, that was that, that was that story. What about, dude, you, you shot enough about me. You shot two bulls last year, didn't you? Or was that the year before?
1: Um, let's see, no, last year I killed one bull. I passed on a lot. This is my first year of really trying to kill one particular bull um so i got a bull. gosh i actually shot a herd bull on the seventh and i hit him really high passed through i thought i smoked him ended up almost getting like two or three more shots once i picked up the blood trail hours later but ended up bumping him and he took his cows and left and uh he was fine but i was super bummed i mean i blew a 32 yard shot um it was really steep angle in the thick alders of idaho i should have probably use my 20 yard pin um so that sucked because that was like september 7th second day for idaho and it was just like the most amazing bugle fest where it was just me and him no other satellites he had all his cows and he had a lot of cows and i just bugled from the top of the mountain and he was in the bottom and he'd answer every bugle and now he wouldn't leave his cows but he just waited for me to come down the mountain. I bet I bugled back and forth 20 different times with him until finally I literally was just walking in the alders right at him until where I finally got a window and uh, lost that bull. He lived. I was super bummed. He just blew it, man, and it happens to the best of us and the worst of us, so um, kind of picked, yeah. my, picked myself up off the ground, and uh, then we had that weather hit. I think you guys got it, too, where we just kind of had that five or six-day stretch of rain and snow. And then once that mm-hmm. once that broke, I called, um, I called in a bull solo and shot him at 20 yards. And that was one of those, uh, like you said, encounters where it's just you're looking for the right encounter. That was totally it. I mean, I worked this bull from over a mile away and just I made every move I made, I just played the right card. To where I had him in my lap and it was all on video. It was pretty cool. And then I had spent the rest of my season hunting about a 350 bull in North Idaho, which is very hard, very rare to come by. And just, um, I'll just fast forward. I got to 11 yards from this bull. Could hear him breathing. He didn't know I was there. I had the wind. Thermals were jamming down. I was in the middle of an alder field in Idaho, which is hell. And he just needed to walk through this one lane, and uh, he did end up walking through that lane. But my dumbass didn't get my bow pulled back in time. So as soon as oh no, yeah, as soon as he hit this lane, the sun was shining on his beautiful brown coat, and I was getting a look at his 350-inch frame. And uh, he he literally picked me off in the brush. I wasn't moving, but he just stared a hole through me, and I had my bow up ready to draw. So I had to hold that weird, awkward position where your arms extended, you're hooked onto your release, and your elbow's up high, and you're just ready to pull back. And then as soon as he turned his head after a minute stare down to look the other way, I pulled back, and he could hear the the bow or the motion of the bow getting pulled back, and he just bolted. So that was heartbreaking because that was about eight eight days of trying to get to that position, and I just didn't get my bow pulled back in time oh man I didn't think he was going to come through that lane but he did but it was I mean to me that was almost that made my whole season just getting that close and seeing him I don't know if anyone's ever even been that close to him before um so no the year before I killed like three bulls I had killed two in Idaho and one in Arizona uh, late season and uh you know that was cool but no I had a perfect season it was just I got to hunt a lot I got to hunt with my dad. I called call a bull in for my dad. He stuck it. It was awesome, man. And I can't wait for next year. I drew, uh, found out today I drew Wyoming. So I haven't been in to Wyoming in 11 years, man.
2: Wow, congrats. Yeah. I saw a lot of people, a lot of people drew Wyoming today.
1: I think I burned the most points out of just about anybody. I think I was one under max. So I've been been waiting to cash in, and I think this is the year to do it for me, just with my schedule. but um you talked about fitness and this is elk shape and some people aren't a super fan of the fitness component but i say you can never have too much fitness on an elk hunt it's definitely not going to hurt you so you were able to climb 1500 feet in the dark and get there in time to kill that idaho bull mid-october you're not a crossfit guy like me or but you obviously do some things to stay in shape and you're not getting any younger spring chicken so um what does an off season look like for you as far as shooting regimen and training and, and just kind of with all your responsibilities at sick year, how do you balance it all? And what do you do?
2: Oh, I travel and drink beer and eat out all the time all winter. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, no, yeah, I don't do CrossFit, man. I, I did, I did insanity one spring and it was actually really fun. I just, it's hard for me to commit to a schedule when I, travel so much um so and that's such an excuse because i know you do the same like that that's a total cop out um but in reality what i do do is about now i start i I start going to the gym about four times a week it's kind of a smorgasbord of a lot of different things but i always run i run every time i go and then i'll lift weights and do push-ups sit-ups uh pull-ups all that kind of stuff and then uh what was it? I'm sorry, I was lost. My- oh, and then as I work into the spring, I I start trail running, and uh, once once the weather gets better and the trails are a little nicer. Right now they're really muddy and and snowy, but I I, I work into this spring trail running and I'll trail run all summer and 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 hike because um, I'll go scouting or whatever. Um, and spring bear season helps that because I hike around a bunch hunting spring bears. So by the time last year, I committed to a half marathon in July, which helped because I just trained all spring and I felt really good coming into hunting season. Um, I felt like I could, I could get around really well. And then, um, yeah, man, I, I roll into the season and I kind of stop all that. I just hunt. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, you're right, man. Like the more, you, the better shape you are, it's never going to hurt you. Like it always will help you. And I think hiking Around in the elk woods is the best way to get in shape for elk season. Unfortunately, most of us only do that in elk season. So by the time it ends, is when you get in your best shape. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I always eat healthy. I try to stay in pretty decent shape, and I live at elevation too. That helps. Yes. So I don't. I don't get the elevation stuff. But yeah, man, um, that's what I do. Okay, so you're pretty busy. You juggle a
1: family. You got three kids, and you know, it comes down to decisions. Every day you have an opportunity to make decisions that are going to move the needle in the right direction or not. Whether you're aware of this or you're not really cognizant. Looking back, what are some of your best disciplines that you think that you can think of that help you become a great hunter, someone who can enjoy hunting to the fullest because you're, you know, you feel good and you're moving well. It, and it could be disciplines in, I always say, like fitness. It could be fitness uh, discipline in finances discipline and family structure like what are some of the things that allow you to leave your family and go elk hunting and be in shape and have the freedom to do that time-wise anything advice for people out there because this podcast is about getting people out there and i'm still in jocko man discipline is freedom you'll have more time and more autonomy in your schedule to hunt if that's what you want to do
2: what are those disciplines for david brinker Oh man, I don't. I don't know that I'm very disciplined at all, Dan. You're um, fired. You're, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I. I don't know. I, I. I'm married to a, a very very understanding wife that that understands that September and October are really special to me, and it allows me the freedom to go out and do those things. I I was my dad was, always made it a priority to get me out in the woods. Like hmm. that was. Like he, I, I missed so many days of school, man. Like I used to go, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it was awesome. like, my teachers did not get it, but my dad's like, you know what? You'll learn more in a day in the woods with me than you will, in, um, in a day of school. Amen. So, um, which I, and I believe that. And I think because of that, I always, I fight for my time. I, like I'm pretty protective over it. It's, you know, I, I don't, unless it's a very close family member, I don't go to weddings in September or October. I don't family reunions, anything like that like it's just it's kind of my selfish time um and i think everybody should have that because that's sort of your your spiritual it's your time to like be one with yourself and kind of disconnect from from all the stuff that we all have to deal with from day to day but i'm also a firm believer that you have to fight for that time and you have to prioritize it other because other people won't for you so, you know, if it's vacation time, it's like, you know what, I get two weeks vacation a year. My my one week is I'm going elk hunting by God. And if anybody has a problem with that, then look at my taillights leaving September tenth, you know? Like so I think it's a combination of having a a, a, a supportive family and also just making it a priority.
1: Absolutely. I think that's awesome to hear you say that because, you know, I, I, my wife has looked at me like crazy when I was like, uh, no, I'm not going to your brother's wedding. I'm going elk hunting that's in September or no, you know, it just took a lot of time for her to figure out that I'm willing to say no to almost anything in September, just because it's a fight and it's so finite. I mean, how many Septembers do you get in your lifetime? Right. Exactly. You know? And it's hard for people I, to understand that, that don't hunt. I mean, it, it's just tough.
2: Well, it, it is. Um, but I get in debates with pe- people about – I've had to fight for it my whole life. You know, it's the whole – it's, man, I wish I could do that, that whole that comment that you'll yeah. get. Um, yeah. And and I, I I really don't like that comment because I believe that you – if you want something bad enough and you fight for it, you will get it. Yeah. Or – or you will get something similar. It may not be exactly what you envision. Um, and I just don't think many people actually take that to heart and do it. And And the comments you get are more from insecurity and jealousy than they are from actual reality. And uh, I've made it a priority in my life to – I always wanted a family. I always wanted to be married. I always wanted to hunt, and I always wanted to play music. And that's what I've made priorities in my life. And I've fought – feels like you got to fight for stuff like that every day yeah but it's just i guess i guess what i'm saying is is no one's going to do it for you if you want to go elk hunting and you want to learn how to elk hunt or you want to whatever it may be in your life you know um it's just something you got to be like no in september i am doing this and that's what i'm doing and it means a lot to me and you know there's 12 there's 11 other months in the year to do other stuff that's what i'm always like (laughs) it's astonished but people are worried about like your five days in september you're like man there's could we go Do that any other month? Yeah, I'm going elk hunting that month.
1: (laughs) So to give this like application to your awesome comment is like so. uh, Yeah, I drew Wyoming. I'm going to look up when it opens. I'm going to work backwards so I can be there a day early, and I'm going to try to ride out that whole season. If it's a two or three week season, I'm going to like put it on the calendar tonight, and then I'm going to start planning my life around that. Means I got to get my business taken care of. Um, my actual small business I own I got to get that handled right and I got to get you yeah know, I got to get coverage I got to make sure someone's doing the books and making sure payroll and then for the family I got to make sure you know I got to probably get a nanny to help my wife out because she works too and I mean yeah like it just depends on how bad you want it and so get it on the calendar right away work your way backwards and be willing to make some compromises because that's that is your time and it is selfish but on the other side you need to you know help feed your wife's you know interests and expectations and things that she wants to do as a family whatever and be willing to get those on the calendar just as soon and and plan around that um there's a lot of there's a lot of things to take care of you got to handle your business and make it happen for yourself no one else is going to
2: that's right a hundred percent you got to put in your time you can't um you can't just be selfish all year you know um by the time I have a friend who's really good, at, and and by the way, I'm not perfect at this. Like No one is. I mean, I, I certainly could spend more time with my family and, and do more for my wife. Like, But I have a friend who's, I think, really good at it. Like, he spends all spring and summer, he calls it filling, filling his wife's cup. Like, yep. his whole spring and summer is around, you know, what can I do for her, camping, whatever it is, whatever they like to do. So by the time the fall comes she is like all on board with it and totally supportive of it. Whereas I feel like most of us screw up because we're like, well, I kind of want to go spring bear hunting too. And then, you know, I'm going to, I want to spend a week scouting. Oh yeah. And then there's shed hunting. And then I'm going (laughs) to go set some trail cameras. And then pretty soon like your whole year is hunting. And I think that's where most of us fall into get into trouble. Luckily for me, it's also how I make my living. Yeah. Um, so I have, I have that excuse, but uh, for the record, that excuse doesn't always work. Yeah, uh, you still got to be there for your family, <laughs> and so you know it's just it's a tough balancing act. You and I balancing act. You and I have talked about, a lot about that. Like, I don't know how to do it. I struggle with it all the time. But I, I think as long as you're always making a conscious effort to improve it, and and knowing that, like, if 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 the world said you have to choose your family between your family and hunting, like, I would give up hunting.
1: Yeah, hands um, down.
2: That's that's just the way it is and that, that would suck. Yeah, no question. But you just always need to keep it in perspective. You know, at the end of the day, we love doing it, but there are more important things. And I actually think that helps you enjoy it more too, so you don't put so much pressure on yourself.
1: Well, David, you are a busy man. I know we gotta wrap this up. a um, couple more questions, then I'll leave you alone. So what is the and these are gonna be more give me the quick answer. What's the best thing about working for sick of gear? What's the worst thing working for sick of gear?
2: I mean the best things are i think pretty parent, you know you gotta you gotta meet and be friends with the people that you if you're like me spent your childhood looking up to and you all i like i always wanted to be like will primos or you know the people that were i guess in the uh living on the front lines of hunting like through video at the time larry d jones and all those people uh so you it's a cool life you gotta you gotta do that also you gotta make amazing gear and learn learn a crap load about business and then and the, and why you do that so it's like a it's like way better than a college education getting to do something you love so it's kind of a crazy mix of it's amazing um downsides are you know uh you work for a popular brand you you know there's people that don't like you there's there's it's highly competitive and you're away from your family a lot yeah and uh it's not like a you know, if I would have went into a trade where I you know, I have a fairly normal nine to five job. I know exactly when my vacation is and stuff like that. It's a, it's a, it's not that structured of a life, you know, it changes from year to year as we grow. And so it, it, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing or a downside. It's just, it's, you know, if, if there was a challenge to working in the industry, that's, that's what it is. And, and, uh, you know, hunting is work now. So most of the time you're, you're, fulfilling obligation i try to take at least one trip a year where i purely it's it's purely vacation i don't check in i don't do anything no content no nothing it's purely for my spirit (laughs) you know that's Uh, smart yeah yeah, or you know and i try to spend that with my dad if i can but uh yeah man it's it's amazing i can't complain like it it's it, it was something that i don't know why it happened to me that i get to you know work for an awesome brand and do these things but it did and i try to embrace it as much as i can and I really love it.
1: Cool. Well, we're going to finish with uh, the, just out of curiosity, you, I just downloaded your first single you dropped a little bit ago. You're a musician and you had the balls to go for it. I mean, you went down to Nashville and recorded your debut album, correct? I did. What? uh, I mean, you got some balls. Tell me about how you didn't listen to fear and you went for your dream. I mean, And I know that sounds corny, but dude, it doesn't to me. Like uh, there was some risk involved and you went and did it. Tell us about that process if you can.
2: I will. Uh, I'm I'm curious though, when when you say you got some balls, like what comes to mind? Like why, why, what seems scary about it? Well, you're going to have to put
1: yourself out there um yeah what if you just suck at singing and you didn't know it and you yeah. went down there and they're like um we got yeah you can play the guitar you can play rhythm guitar for us if you want you know um yeah you know or just <laughs> yeah, the fact totally. that you already have a really great career and you live in bozeman montana i mean you why are you so like how did the passion for the music just make you go for it i mean it's, it's inspiring yeah. to me
2: yeah no man absolutely and the reason i ask is because um, people always say that to me and I, I guess I just never looked at it that way. That's um, good. Um, but no, it's, there's no rational reason why either, because it is, it's like super scary. I don't believe that I'm that great at it in terms of in perspective of the people that, that do it for a living. I, I think I've worked really hard on it and I've gotten pretty good at it. And I, but the most importantly, I'm just, I love doing it. I, I love Uh, creating things and that's one of the reasons i've loved being in marketing because i get to create films and all kinds of fun stuff at sitka but then i get to write and this has been my creative outlet that's it's mine like it's not part of my normal job it's it's only mine i could literally write the worst thing on earth or the best thing on earth but it's mine and that's all that matters and i'm passionate about doing it and i guess what what really pushed me over the edge to like put a little bit more elbow grease behind it and go actually go do it was a i when my wife went, when my wife and i first started dating and I, that was a couple years after I started writing songs, we were driving down the road one day, listening to a, one of my favorite records at the time, and I told her, "I go, I want, I'm going to write and record a record like this someday." And she looked at me. She's like, "Okay, honey, yeah, everybody wants to do that, you know. Good <laughs> luck." <laughs> and uh, I'm like, "Okay," because when people say stuff like that to me, it like actually it fuels me. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, I'm like, you know what? It's a goal. I'm going to do it. And uh, I. I've rarely gone anywhere without my guitar since and I've been trying really hard to learn as much as I can about songwriting while living not in the songwriting capital of the world, you know, yeah, you know, as much as I can. And, uh, I finally felt like, and I always said I wouldn't do it until I felt like I was really ready to do it. And so this year I was really ready to do it. And I was able to raise the money through Kickstarter and, and go down there and have amazing support in Nashville from the friends I've developed over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, to like, that's the scariest thing is like, what are you going to, who are you going to call? (laughs) Yeah. Like what, what what do you even, you know, most people, I think they get, they get kind of, well, they get held up. A lot of people get held up at the beginning of just like, man, I don't, I I don't, I don't think I have the talent to write a song or sing. And my argument to that is I think everybody should write, not necessarily, doesn't have to be music. It could be articles for a magazine, poems, whatever. I think, because everybody's got a unique story. And then I think in terms of music, like, I think there's way more people that can sing and that are more talented than they give themselves credit for, but they let fear halt them from even trying it. And I just never did that. I I just don't allow that to enter my mind. And then the last thing was, man, my kids, like, I want my kids to, to like, I want to set an example for them that mm. shows them that if you, and this is cliche too, but it's the truth. If you like seriously like doing something, you forget about what other people think, and you you take in the criticisms and the feedback that are productive and that you respect, and you just move past all the other BS and just do it because why do you do it? Because you love it. What does it become? Who knows? Nothing. Maybe something. Maybe a lot. But it doesn't matter because you love doing it. And if I and I and it's already proven itself, we'll we'll drive down the road now and they'll listen to my kids. Always want to listen to my songs on the radio. And the first couple times they heard it they would be like daddy you made that up
1: oh my god i'm like
2: i'm like yes and there was like a light it was like a, a light switch in their head they're like oh you can make stuff up and be on this like magical thing the radio yeah. like i'm like yeah you guys can make up so now they've started making up their own songs and to me that was the that was my win like if nothing else if no one else ever downloaded every one of my songs i would be fine because now they know that these things that people think are completely untouchable are actually right at your fingertips. All you got to do is put in the work. I mean, again, that sounds cliche, but I think, and you know this, like people want it like a six pack, right? But they won't do any ab workouts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You it's, know? it's, yeah, we only, I, David, I, I'm going to ask a dumb question. Cause I, I'm fascinated by this. I'm sorry. Like, Tell me uh, the dumbed-down version of your workflow to creating a song. And this is just me being ignorant, but I love music. I love all kind of music. Like, literally, you can turn on any station. I've heard the songs. Do you, when you're at home, do you kind of come up with, like, a little riff or rhythm? Or do you, and then you write your lyrics? Or, like, how does that, what's that workflow? And it could be a complicated question, but is there an easy answer as to how you kind of, the creative process goes?
2: Uh, yeah, and I, I would say that it's probably different for everybody. So this is just my way. Yeah. But uh, I try to pick up my guitar at least once a day. It's one of my rules. Like, and sometimes it's for like five seconds. Sure. Or sometimes it's for a half hour, and I'll just start jamming. And most of the time, I'll like just start humming a melody. Or and as a songwriter, like it would be the most embarrassing thing to show people, man. Like it is <laughs> not pretty. <laughs> but you just start you just start, or at least I just start jamming away and start singing words that don't even make sense over chords. And, you know, about every other day, uh, a unique melody will, or for me, a unique melody will come out and I'll record it into my, my phone or my iPad or whatever. And then I'll, so I just stockpile all those melodies. And then as I'm living life, I'll, you know, I, I try to keep my ears open for like good titles. Cause if you don't have, for the, my style of songwriting, if you don't have, like, a really good hook, it's really difficult to write. So like, I can't just sit down and start saying words. Yeah. I'm not a... I, I don't write... I don't write... I mean, I write pretty pretty pop, like, pretty mainstream-type music, which usually has a fairly clear hook, um, which is a title. And so I stockpile titles, and then every once... You know, when I feel like a title matches a melody that I wrote, I'll just write the song. Okay. And I, I, I usually... I'll usually like i be like, oh, man, that melody, that slow melody I came up with last week, that'd be good for this title. And then I'll always write the chorus first because everything else should fit around the chorus, and so I'll just take a shot at writing the chorus, even if it's just a rough draft, and then, um, then I'll write verse 1 and verse 2, and then I'll write the bridge, and then I'll slap it all together, and it's usually a mess, and then I will polish it up over the next – Sometimes it'll take a couple hours. Sometimes it takes weeks or months or years. Sometimes I'll put them away for two years and not even look at them, and then I'll pull it back out and be like, "Man, that sucks," or I'll <laughs> be like, "Man, that's not that bad." Uh, but usually, uh, someone said one time, and I, I believe this to be true with any writing. Like someone, uh, a, a hit songwriter was asked, "You know, how many how many hit songs have you written?" And he, he goes i've never wrote one hit song but i've rewritten a bunch yeah and so uh that's kind of how it is man it is so ugly i've always wanted there to be like a reality show because but maybe it's too ugly like people be like man that's how songs are written that is terrible like that sounds like crap well i think everybody appreciates
1: music i mean it brings out emotion and it's awesome and it can i mean music everyone knows the power of music it's it's powerful but uh, for me, I love anything behind the scenes, and note that for a Sick of Gear, if you guys are making films, Dan loves behind the scenes stuff, you know? Uh, I'm a junkie for that stuff, and I, I just picture you in Nashville, probably nervous as shit your first time, the red light comes on, and you're laying down vocals to your first track, and I just, I would love, I mean, I'm, do you have video of that anywhere?
2: I do, I do, and it's, dude, that, yeah, yeah that was the probably the scariest part of this whole process cuz when you go they call it tracking it's when the band it's when the band um you go in the studio and you in Nashville anyway you 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 hire these studio mus- musicians that come in and they're like they wouldn't let me play guitar on my record right like i'm not nearly good enough to do that i mean i could but would the the rest of the band would be so frustrated with me by the end of the day like it wouldn't <laughs> be worth it so um, you get, you got these guys and they've never heard your songs before. You you show up that day and my producer's with me and and the band comes in the little the the main room with the board and everything. And they're like, all right, what's the first song? And uh, I'm like, you want me to play it like right now? They're like, yeah. So they're like, okay, you grab your guitar and you got like a dozen or not probably not that many people, six or eight or nine people like that are like that have played on records that you listen to in your car. Like they're like <laughs> legit as it gets musicians and and here you are little dave brinker from the west coast with some songs you wrote in your bedroom and they're like all right play it can't wait to hear it and it's like oh god this is really intimidating and i've played all kinds of like song competitions and and open mics and i've i've embarrassed myself i've impressed myself like i've put myself out there a lot but that was definitely like a moment where i'm like man don't f this up like this is (laughs) Like, just make it through. And after I got done with the first song, what I learned was is musicians are, like, they just appreciate music. They're not there to critique you. They're there to make your songs sound as amazing as they can. And it made the rest of the day easier and and the rest of the week. But on the third day, when you go in to do vocals, because you do all the band stuff first, and I went in the third or fourth day, and you start singing all your songs, and you have an engineer and a producer on the other end of the mic critiquing every note, every, t- every, everything about your performance, it's nerve wracking, man. And you're like <laughs> staring, you're like in a closet. So you're like staring at a bunch of padding on a wall and you don't know what, what faces they're making. If they're like cringing, if they're, you know, yeah. every once in a while, every once in a while they'll chime in and say something that, that is a pretty scary experience. But again, like you realize it's like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? the engineer doesn't like my song yeah he's never he's not going to hold it personally against me it's not for him it's for for me first and then whoever decides to be my fan and so once you get over that it's it's not a big deal it's 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 really not and it actually was a real growth experience for me um because the first few takes i did not sing well no i did not but as i got in the process man i i became a better singer in like three days because they're like nope And they're really honest they don't time not to be they're like nope you missed those two notes do them again sing them 10 times nope you're still not hitting them do you want to take a break nope not there yet you know it's like holy mackerel this is like and there was a couple spots where it's like man i was beating my head against well i couldn't it just wasn't happening you know yeah but at the end of the day it made you better i'm i'm sure it's no different than you know someone trying to uh you know uh have perfect form on a lift or whatever you're, it's, you know, it's just learning something, you know, you're not a pro, you're not, you know, as good as the best person in the world at it. So you're always going to be learning. But I think if people appreciate is, as, as long as you have the right attitude and you know, you're not, you, you know, you're in development. They, they want to help you, man. Like this is not, it shouldn't be that scary, but that's, that's kind of what I learned. It's awesome. It's a, it's a good platform for me to, you know, country music and hunting fit together. Well, yeah, they and, do. I, and, and and people enjoy it and it also gives me hopefully in the future a a platform to talk and to um to use it as a platform for more conservation type stuff and and kind of meld hunting and music together really well you know and that's kind of what i like doing anyway so
1: i love what you said there you know you got to have the right attitude and then you just put yourself out there and yeah, that's uncomfortable, but your growth is going to take place, and that and that's everything from business to family to doping your weapon to being an elk hunter is have the right attitude, be hungry for knowledge, put yourself out there, and you're going to learn and grow, no matter what you do. I really dig that. And man. people,
2: and, and and people, if you have that attitude, people are so apt to want to help you. Yeah. It's, it's if I would have walked in that studio that day thinking I was the king of the mountain and like wait yeah wait till you hear these songs either like these should be on the radio i should get a record deal right now you know those guys would be like who is this guy like i am not dealing with this guy's attitude but i was like you know what guys (laughs) i am scared shitless right now so i'm gonna play you this song and you know i want you guys to and they're like well what do you want the song to sound like i'm like you know what like i have some ideas but man you guys are the experts you tell me i'm like so open to feedback like if you have that attitude people want to help you yeah that's cool. Same with elk hunting. I don't know how to elk hunt. I have no idea where to go. I've never killed an elk. Would someone mind taking me? Yeah. Heck yeah. I would take that person any day. But if someone's like, I want to kill a 380 bull. I, no, I don't like doing this. I, I think I want to do it like this. I've never killed one. I'm like, well, no one's going to want to take you because you, you already think you know too much. You know? Yeah. yeah. So.
1: Yeah, man. I love it. This is good. This, and this is why I love podcasting. This is on the only 11th episode. I put myself out there. I was like, I'm just going to do it. Other people are doing it. And, but I want to do it too because um, I've known you too, David. I've met you maybe in 2008. I filmed Jonathan Hart in 2007 in Kansas, Kills First Whitetail. And I think I met you somewhere right thereafter. But how many times have I had an hour and change to just talk to you and nobody else? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so thankful for podcasting. If this doesn't blow up, that's fine. I am so digging just the amount of time I get to get to know somebody for an hour, which is good for me to sit down and, and just interact with people that, you know, I respect and, and enjoy their company. So dude, thanks for coming on today. It's been awesome. I feel like we covered some good stuff.
2: Yeah, man. Absolutely. No, I appreciate you having me on and, and uh yeah, man, keep it up. I'm excited to tune in and listen to the rest of the episodes
1: that's cool well um we'll probably wrap it up i know you're busy but thanks for making time um anything else you want to drop on working can people can follow you on basically your social and, and your music
2: yeah you can follow me just dave brinker um on instagram um and facebook and the music's out there on spotify and itunes and iHeart and everywhere you listen to music so you can check it out there's a couple songs out right now and the rest of the record will come out later this spring
1: that'd be cool to check out yeah i did download one my daughter likes it she's dancing to it so that's cool and um well good <laughs> good luck with making your elk hunting plans and get it on the calendar friends so you can plan life around it i feel like that was one of the coolest things we talked about today and so
2: we Absolutely, will man.
1: we will see you probably are you going to be at the um backcountry Hunter, uh, rendezvous in Boise.
2: I am going to be there.
1: Yeah. I will see you then, man. I'm flying down for that. So look forward Sweet. to catch up then.
2: All right, buddy. Thank you. All right.
1: Have a good day, man. See ya. All right. Take care.